Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. Welcome to Live Boldly with Sarah Shelton Kranz, a survivor, thriver, adventurer, and believer in all things possible. My mission is to guide others to live their life boldly, regardless of circumstances. I believe we all have the power to overcome and lead joy-filled, happy lives. Recorded from the trail or in my office, I share inspiring stories from everyday people because we all deserve to be heard. You will also hear from handpicked professionals ready to guide you beside me. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hi friends, welcome to another episode of Live Boldly with Sarah Schulten Kranz. I cannot wait to share this episode with you. Molly Ann is a 26 year old young woman. She skated 800 miles along the East Coast in September during the pandemic to raise awareness for mental health. And let me tell you, this woman is unbelievable. So before I dive in there with you, I wanna share that our cart is now open for our April, June, and October Grand Canyon retreats, along with the three-month coaching journey that comes with it. If you are ready for deep diving, transformation, healing, adventure, hiking, so much, so much incredible coaching and meditating in nature, you guys, just reach out to me. Go into my website, sarahsheltoncrans.com, DM me, email me, sarah at sarahsheltoncrans.com. Let's get you in one of these retreats. There are only eight spots per retreat. Yes, they fill up. Yes, they are so transformational in life. So let's talk about Molly Ann. You guys, this was just a phenomenal episode for me to record. In September, in the middle of the pandemic, she skated solo 800 miles on a longboard down the Eastern seaboard from Maine to New Jersey in just 20 days. A graduate of Berkeley and nearly two years sober, life was at its most chaotic internally and externally. She got sober on December 6, 2018, and her story is one of the many that goes untold, a story of absolute survival. And sometimes, survival means riding 800 miles just to prove to yourself that you still exist. Now, before I dive into this, I just want to say to you, you guys, go grab your journal, your pen, your favorite drink. Listen very carefully to the words that this young woman has to share. Before I actually share with you the podcast episode, I would like to share just an excerpt of a writing of writing that she actually sent to me. And it was before she um, set out on this journey. She wrote this. It is so deep and beautiful and profound. And I want to read it for you um, because it really touched my heart. So this is in her words. Tomorrow I will leave the last strand of my childhood, a home that was never a home, where my dignity sat trapped in walls soaked in anger and abuse and mistaken love, and carrying the embattled vibrations of pain and power and heartbreak and abandon, I will stand up tall and ride the coast from Maine to New Jersey, because skating will forever challenge the way in which we see the world, reclaiming an imagination that still lives in the woods and on roads with blackened sidewalk ledges, in snack shacks on the beach, in towns we escaped to when we had nothing, forever tucked away in a prison that knew no hurt, 
eulogizing what once was beautiful when I didn't have to cry or hide or learn civility. I will skate to tell my story, to save myself from a world that fought so desperately to harden me, to honor those who wanted to believe they could create a time when they didn't have to, to see or breathe and bravery was the reason to keep dying a sickness was something we could unsee. Because changing the world is just about showing up. I want to read that again. Changing the world is just about showing up. By refuting our folly with dignity, by refusing silence when the world tries to chain us to its false ideals, and if in defeat we stay true to ourselves, maybe we'll have been the change we've wanted all along. That last line, you guys, that last line. And if in defeat we stay true to ourselves, maybe we'll have been the change we have wanted all along. This young woman, you guys, I have to tell you, I was blown away and I am so honored to have her on. She is, she is what we need to hear right now. So go grab your journal, grab your pen, grab your drink. If you can take this outside, lean up against a tree, listen to it, walk along the beach, walk outside somewhere and listen to it. It is absolutely phenomenal and I am so honored to have Molly on. Enjoy this episode. All right, you guys, I am so excited to have Molly Ann here as a guest. This is your very first podcast episode, isn't it? It is. It's a little nerve-wracking. I was going to say it's a little nerve-wracking, isn't it? Um, I am so excited to have you here because one of my dear friends, um, Cindy, um, she is the one that actually called me and said, hey, you have to have this, this young woman on your show because of your accomplishments in the past and what you've overcome, but then also because during COVID, you did something that was really wild and crazy, and you skated 800 miles along the eastern coast on a longboard, right? Like, that's just great. So awesome. But I want to jump in. You and I had a conversation yesterday, and, and your story goes so much deep, so much deeper than, you know, um, skating 800 miles on the eastern coast. It actually starts from a while ago and even why you chose to do that. So let's dive in. Tell us a little bit about you. Well, I, so I was thinking a lot about this today and, you know, I came home from this and my friends went, oh, you didn't even tell us you left. It was two months ago. You just, you just left without any word. And, and how was it? Did it change your life? And, and with every kind of major, uh, undertaking I I think people ask me like what what did it change for you is are you did you come back a different person and and I think what I was kind of reflecting on today was I I don't think people realize how exhausting it is to be me and that these aren't I don't just go out there and do these things because I think that it's thrilling or it's going to it's going to boost my ego or my image. I think that I do it because it's it's kind of a test for myself. It's it's life or death in a way, and that sounds kind of dramatic, but um but in many ways it's 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 me on the brink of of insanity, mm-hmm. I guess, and and so it's it's do you want to live or do you want to die? I I think that's what it comes to. And so it's these moments of desperation 
that lead me to these places. And, and so I come back and, and no, it didn't, it doesn't change my life, but I, I wish, I think I set out there to, to send a message and, um, and I think I did that in many ways, but, but also I think that it's all, it can be really misunderstood in a lot of ways. Um, so. so what was the message that you were putting out there? Um, well, I think there were a lot of them. I, a lot of my friends had died from overdoses at the beginning of COVID. And, um, and then for myself, I, I was doing well for a really long time. I was, I was kind of thriving in quarantine because it was, it was honestly more my natural habitat. Um, and I didn't have to do anything and I, I became nocturnal and I was living my best life. Um, but then it all kind of took a turn and I started to really lose my mind. I wasn't I wasn't even aware of what reality was anymore. And, um, and I fell into a really bad dissociative episode. And so I, one day I just said, I'm leaving, like I'm going, this is what I'm doing. And I wanted to kind of do it for everybody who wasn't able to continue the fight. And, but for me, because I think I'm always considering what it could be for myself. Like what, what could life look like in 10, 20 years if I don't get the help that I need, if people don't recognize it, if, if we all can continue to suffer in like in this, it's like this invisible suffering. And if we all continue in that way, you know, what does life look like for us? Um, does it, does it look like a, a person underneath a bridge? Um, does it look like having no home? And so for me, that's kind of a reality that I constantly have to grapple with because I, I don't know what it looks like. And so I wanted to go out there for everybody who is still suffering and who did suffer. Um, Cause I think that our voices go unheard a lot of the time. And even when they don't, there's this, I think that a lot of mental illness is still really taboo and we've commodified depression and anxiety and these like, and these types of mental illness, but it's not, the real, when you get down to it, it's not, we're not talking about the real stuff. We're, we're taught, we love to talk about, oh, we went to our therapist and oh, I'm depressed and I'm feeling so anxious. And, and that's like our favorite pastime now. But, but when it comes to telling somebody that, hey, I suffer with this or, or that it, I think people don't know how to respond to it because it is such a taboo topic. And, and I wish that I could I could, you know, be the voice for that, but I don't, I don't think that any one person can be. And I think that it just, uh, it changes with time and we evolve. Um, so with this trip, I, I just wanted to kind of send that message to everybody that 
And even though I knew that it wasn't going to reach everybody, I, I wanted to send it to myself. And I think in turn, that was going to, that would wind up sending that message outwards. Well, you're here on your very first podcast, sending quite the message. And that, that right there is huge. And I commend you for that. Um, there's a couple of things that I want to come back to, which is your own mental health, right? And um, something that we had talked about yesterday. And I, I, um, I just see you as such a brave young woman. You're such a brave young woman for to be doing all of this. I know when I set out onto the mountains, it's like I go for my own personal reason, and then also the same reason. It's, it's to spread hope and to spread a message for those people that are suffering, that they can. Um, that they can have something to hold on to, even if it's just simply my message from being on the trail. And I wanna, I wanna ask you this though, because people always ask me that same thing. What'd you learn about yourself? And I'm like, I mean, I could go, I could tell you a lot of different things, but you also said something that um, hit me, which was people misunderstand. They misunderstand that. So can we touch on that? And then I want you to tell a little bit about your backstory uh, with your own mental health. Okay. Um, yeah, so I think that people misunderstand what it really means to suffer mm. because we, because we so openly talk about depression and anxiety and these, the very, I think, I don't I don't know, I don't, I don't want to diss them. So it's like the very basic sort of of mental illness uh, and it's not basic in its essence but i think for it it's just the beginning you know there's so much more out there and and uh, we haven't really breached those topics um so i think it's that misunderstanding of of suffering of that you know we we suffer, and, and I think a lot of us think that we are terminally unique in that suffering because we don't talk about it, because other people don't talk about it. And, and so it can often feel like nobody else knows what that deep sorrow is or that deep feeling of dread. And, and I, I find it so difficult to talk about because I think for so many years I was silenced and, and I felt so invisible because growing up, nobody really understood me. They, they were constantly trying to put a label on it all. And, and so I, I think in turn, I became somewhat dehumanized mm -hmm. because I, I became more of a label for something and a, a task to fix than a real person who was suffering from something, from events that had happened. And it took, I think it took like 25 years for somebody to say, wow, that that did happen. And wow, that must have really hurt you and, and really affected you. But when you're, you know, when you're five years old or three years old and and something happens to you over and over again repeatedly you you have to look at the kid and think well they they must really be reacting to that they they must really be hurt not how do we fix this kid because they're they're unmanageable right. and i think the unmanageability of things it it that kind of 
is what happens as you grow up when when nobody recognizes you and nobody recognizes your pain because if if you were feeling that pain as a kid and or even as as an adult and it and it's not recognized it you become the pain mm. you you embody it and that's what you identify with i think because nobody knows how to see you otherwise and you don't know how to see yourself otherwise um so i think for a long time that I, and I think still, I, I, things didn't change. That's kind of, that's how I've lived my life. And um, so, uh, yeah, I think there's this feeling of being misunderstood for that reason that we're, we're always trying to fix things. And that's, and we're always trying to label things when we don't understand it. Um, and also when we don't understand things, it's, we kind of put, push them aside. Right. Um, and, and I think that's where that invisibility lies. Um, so I guess for me, I, I, I'm an addict and I've been sober, uh, just over two years now. And I, I started, I started using when I was about 16 dabbling when I was 14 um but you know I, I I was sent away as a kid a lot of a lot of my uh teenage years were spent in programs away from home and that was that was the result of of not being heard growing up um and it's really hard to go back to to go back to that and think well well what could have somebody done other than what was done and now luckily kids are growing up with a different understanding of it all but you know 20 years ago I don't think that we had a full understanding of things or even close to that um so I yeah I I'm an addict and and I a lot of the time I I think that life was a lot easier when I was and that life is much, much harder now. Um, and I don't think that's glorifying things. I think that it's just what it is. Um, because for everybody that they make it sound like for everybody getting sober is kind of like the ideal life that you have made it. Um, but for a lot of people, it's not. And those are the ones that we don't hear about. Um, and it's, especially when you deal with serious mental illness, it's not fun and it's not ideal. And it, every single day, it is a constant struggle. And it's not just a struggle to go back out and use because I think at two years, I don't that's not really my, my goal is to go out and use. Um, but it's more the struggle to just be. And, and it takes me back to who I was before using, because that's, it, it kind of mimics what was happening before I started to use and where my memory, where I don't have a lot of memory from back then. I, I can, 
I have that memory in my own feeling and inside because I can feel it in my body. It's like it still lives in there in many ways. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's that's kind of uh, the gist of my story. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to me. I I love how you actually put it into words of it's feeling me. It's like this is the feeling of my past, and that's what I that's what I now have right like now that you are clean that now that you're sober you go back to that space of what it's like to feel you that that younger version of you before you started using at age 14. yeah it's and it's unpleasant right. I, life is unpleasant when when you have just been beaten down forever yeah um you know, and something that happened right before I left on my trip was I, so I went to, I went back to Connecticut. I was born in Connecticut. I lived there till I was five, five and a half. And I went back there to help my grandma move out of her home. And and that was really like my childhood home. I spent most of my days there. Um, my mom worked, my dad didn't really work. Uh, and I was left with my grandma a majority of the time. So that was like, I associate that home with my childhood. And um, so I went back there because it was really important for me to, to say goodbye to that house. And, um, and it was kind of an interesting thing that happened. And I, I've been to my grandma, I've been back to my grandma's almost every year, sometimes twice a year. Um, and I was there alone with her trying to move this stuff out of her house. And she, and I don't know if it was just me being sober or just how things, you know, how our perspectives change as we get older, but she was so cruel mm -hmm. and, and I, I love my grandma, but she, I saw everything that she did when I was a kid growing up and that was really eye-opening and hard to look at because she is one of the people who really changed who I was as a kid and and I'd been told it my whole life but there's a lot that I don't believe you know, it's hard to believe until you see it, especially when it comes to serious trauma and lack of memories. Um, but being there, it, I was constantly beaten down. I was, I, I was silenced every single day. And I started to see that side of me in, in those memories. And and it was really strange to experience. And it was strange to to learn how to handle it mm -hmm. differently and to stand up to somebody who I've never stood up to before in my life. And, and it was painful, but skating kind of became this strange, this way in which I, I left and I, and I could handle what was being thrown at me. And I, I didn't really train for this, what I, what I went out and did. I, I didn't, I kind of just put it all together. I did a ton of research um, and talked to a lot of people, but I never, I didn't train for it. I, but when I was at my grandma's, I had my board with me 
and I had just put it together when I was there. And, and whenever I, she would speak to me the way that she did, I would leave and I would go skate probably about eight to 10 miles. That was, I think 12 miles was the max I skated before I left. And, um, but my aunt, my aunt got there a few days before I left to go on my trip. And I think I cried for five days. Um, because I, I under, finally understood what that house really was and what my attachment to that house really was. And the house wasn't so much a, a, a place that, that I loved, that loved me back. It was really a place that destroyed me. Yeah. And, uh, and I couldn't see that for a really long time. Um, and I finally understood a lot and I and I learned a lot about my past there and so it was this kind of ideal jumping off point Mm -hmm. that was not planned and and I left and without knowing anything about what I was doing I just kind of left I thought I had planned it but I really I didn't know a thing and okay by the way, I don't think anything is really planned in this world or in this lifetime of ours, by the way, like we can plan <laughs> for everything, but if we don't surrender to it as well and understand that we truly don't have any guidebook for anything, whatever is meant to unfold is unfolding for us. Right. And so like, yeah, how amazing that you got to go back to this place and to close this chapter or to rewrite it or to read it differently or have a new perspective on it before you go and do this huge thing, which is skating 800 miles, which is also your own therapy. Like skating has become a huge form of therapy for you, which is, it's just like hiking outside, right? It's like movement. Yeah. I grew up skating. I started skating when I was, I think, eight years old, six, maybe six. And you're 28 years old, right? Like I just, I just, I just asked you that you're 28. Yeah. Yeah. 26. 26. 26. Sorry. 26. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, you're young, like that's, that's awesome. Now all of a sudden I put you two years older. What the heck? <laughs> you're 26. <Okay. laughs> and, I feel uh, that. Well, and it's just, I just have so much admiration for you. Like I really truly want you to know that I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm just imagining the millions of people that could be listening to this and saying, holy shit, that's me. Like I'm, I'm, str- I've struggled through 2020 you know, how many people are actually sitting there saying that to themselves? Like, what did I just find out? Suicide rate was up 30%. 30. I think it's at 300%. It's, that's insane. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. And, and, you know, yeah. and we, don't, we just, we just, we brush so much stuff under the rug and you, yeah. you didn't do that. You were like, F this, I'm taking my board. I'm going to go face something that is, which you didn't even realize you were going to end up facing, which is your old home which is where generational patterns had happened. I don't know if you know anything about generational patterns. It's something that I talk a lot about with my clients and how the things that have happened, not only with our own family members, but family members of those family members, which goes back over and over and generations and generations and generations ago. And when you're talking about understanding it, it's even looking at these generational patterns and saying, what can I learn from them? How can I better understand them so that I don't keep this going in my lifetime. So I can stop this right here and say enough is enough, which is well, it's amazing. Cause I think for when I was there, I kept repeating, 
this is a cycle of abuse. Yes. This is cyclical in my family. And I, you look back and every single person in my family generationally has been abused and then has abused the next person. Mm-hmm. And, and I, it's just amazing to, to look at that and think, how do you break that chain? And, and so much of my life feels like I'm constantly piecing it all together that it will never be pieced together because either people don't tell me the memories or I will never know them. And, and I don't, I don't know a lot. I don't have a lot of memories from my life. I, I, the memories really start when I'm a teenager. Besides that, it's basically images uh, here and there. And so just this was a huge piece to that puzzle. And and I think that's what it is, is if you don't recognize it and you don't want to face it, you can, you perpetuate that cycle. Yeah. And it's, and it kind of harkens back to my favorite book, which I used to cry over the sound and the fury, which mm-hmm. is all about generational abuse. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know it then why that book hit me so much, but it was all about feeling like that invisible child in that book in the and and how everybody is trapped in this cycle of decay. Yeah. And that that is really what happens. Yeah. Well, you know, they say hurt people hurt people. And that is why we also do the work ourselves so that we don't continue this on. So we can actually stop it right here and say enough, which you're doing not only for yourself, but this is your message out into the world, just even being here, which I'm so honored that this is your first podcast, by the way, you are doing amazing. You can't hear me. I can hear you. Oh yeah. Now you can hear me. Okay. Okay. No, it's all good. It's all good. You're doing amazing. I'm so, I'm so like, I'm so, I'm so thrilled to have you on by the way. So let's talk about, um, Let's talk about the the trip itself. Let's talk about you grabbing your board. So you put your board together at your grandmother's house, right? Yeah, and- I did. I, I actually thought it was going to be a total shit show because I had bought this one board. I bought like the best uh, trucks that I could find and the and the board, the best board that, that was available because funny enough, I picked the best time to go when this whole skate industry is is failing because they can't get products from China. <laughs> and so there's no production happening whatsoever. And everybody's run out of boards, like decks, trucks, everything. And so they move production to their own homes right now to try to get things going. So I've got I, I have in mind exactly what I want, right? I, I know what the size longboard, I've never ridden a longboard in my life. I know exactly the size longboard that I want to use. And it's more like the, it's it's about the size is like an old, of an old school, like pool board, right? And, and so I find the best alternative to this and they're like low in stock. It's the only ones I can find. And, and they're shipping from Canada. And then I buy like the trucks and, and those are coming from like some guy making them out of his home in Florida. And, and it was such a process to get it all. And I get it all at my house here in California and I'm putting it together. And 
I have no idea what I'm doing. That's <laughs> awesome. It's a totally different world, longboarding versus skateboarding. And I've, I've been in the skate world for like 16 years now, but I have no idea what it means to buy longboard parts and how to set it all up. And so I, I put it all together and it doesn't work, right? The trucks don't fit the board properly. And, and I, I put it together. I think maybe it's going to work if I put it backwards. I go out on the street and the board is riding the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And 25 pounds on my back and I just eat it. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I'm leaving in two days. What am I going to Because you had to carry everything too. It's no different than me being on the trail. Like you're taking all your stuff. Oh yeah. I had like 25 pounds on my back. Oh my gosh. And I, I plan, I knew exactly what I was taking and I had all my medical supplies, everything. And I, I got advice from like like Marines and, and people who go out there and do this stuff. And so I had like top grade medical supplies and everything, but my board didn't work. And <laughs> the one thing you need. Right. And I'm, I'm like flying out to my grandma's in days and I need to get it. I'm not, I'm not replacing the trucks. That's right. like out of the like question because those are the best trucks I need. I need gear that will last me because I can't deal with having to switch out gear in the middle of Maine and in the middle of any state because every skate shop is closed. Right. Well, except for like Zoomies and the mainstream skate shops, every single skate shop is closed. So I can't risk it. Mm. And so I switch out the board. I, I call the company and, but you can't get a hold of them. It's, it's such a, it was such awful communication. I couldn't get a hold of them. And then I just end up, ended up buying another board from them that was a different size, like just a bit bigger than the one I got. And, and it shipped to my grandma's and I just prayed that it was going to work. I measured it out via a picture on the internet. <laughs> to, and, and I was like, if this doesn't work, I, I'm not going. There's, I don't know what I'm going to do. And it worked. Thankfully, I had to figure out the the bushings in the trucks because if I if I didn't have the right bushing combination the trucks got wheel bite every time and I and then I had a whole panic over that and luckily a skate shop nearby helped me with that and we got it all sorted I had a bushing sponsor uh Riptide Sports and they were great um so they just sent me like packs of every option and every size and I I had like five days with the board before I left. Oh my God. <laughs> so I went out every day in my hometown and I skated and it was amazing. I loved it. I really got to experience the area by myself and, um, and, and, and yeah. heal and heal a lot at the, at the same time. Right. It's yeah. like, yeah, why not? Okay. So you started, where did you start skating? Where did you start? What was it like for you starting off? And then you have some serious stories to tell too, which I want to hear them. You guys like the stories that you have from skating 800 miles are like, they're, inc they're incredible. It's like the stories that I get when I'm on the trail too. And I meet the most amazing humans. I'm like, what the hell, where'd you guys come from? Right. Yeah. So where did you start and where did you end? Let's start with that. I started in Bar Harbor, Maine. Okay. And you um, ended? And I ended in Jersey City. Dude, that's amazing. All the way down 800 miles. Yeah. 
So were you on like, so explain this. Where were you? Were you on like back roads? You can't be on the interstate. Like, where were you? Or were you on the interstate? Well, I don't know. I, <laughs> you never know. It's a long story. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I mapped my whole thing on this app called Ride With GPS. And I I got a lot of information from this girl named, uh, this girl who had a, uh, had written across the country okay. um, named Callie. And she, uh, she wrote across the country, I think like two years ago, she was the first girl and transgender who had written across the country. And, um, and so she gave me a lot of tips and they were super helpful. And so I started in Bar Harbor and I slept, you know, I got to sleep that night and, and the, the hotel owners were awesome. I stayed in this little motel right outside Bar Harbor and it was really a gamble and they were the nicest people. They, they were from California. They had just moved there super young and the owner got up at 5.30 in the morning and drove me to my starting point, oh. brought me coffee and drove me to my starting point. And I was really pumped. I was like, this is it, we're doing it. And I ride down the first hill and then it's just a steep hill. <laughs> all uphill and I was like shit and and I get up it I hadn't looked at the map like I hadn't looked at the google earth version of this I'm on route one and I get up this hill and it is more hill and I'm like it's gonna end it'll end soon it's fine and eventually we're out of civilization we are I am in the woods, basically. It is all like trees around me. There's nobody out there. And, and it is just hills. And it's a little bit downhill, you know, you, it's kind of up and down. But the downhill is, you're getting enough speed to go like a quarter of a mile. Right. And then you're pushing uphill. And I've never ridden with 25 pounds on my back because I didn't train with it. <laughs> I trained with the backpack, but only with the backpack with a full camel back. That was it. I never trained with with that amount of weight on my back. Oh, you sound like a lot of my clients right now, let me tell you. <laughs> so I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm like falling over lopsided with this weight on my back, trying to ride uphill on gravel. It's not even well paved. Oh, my God. So I wind up just walking all of it. And at one point, a great Dane attacks me in the middle of the road. There's nobody. It's six in the morning. There's nobody on the road. And and there's some houses on the side, right? And there's some, like, they're up a small incline. and But there's no fence. There, it, It's just in the, out in the middle of the wilderness. And there's this dog that starts barking at me. And I'm like, all right, just keep walking. Keep cool. Just look ahead. You're fine. And then it runs down the hill and it runs at me in the middle of the highway. And I, and I didn't know what to do. I kept walking. I thought if you just stay calm or don't move, it's going to be fine. And then it comes right at me. And I didn't even look at the cars. I bolted across the street (laughs) and I prayed that there were no cars and there weren't luckily because there were barely any cars in the road at that hour. And it chased me across the street and I screamed at the top of my lungs and it backed away. And this is day one. 
and I'm shaking. I'm like shaking afterwards. I call, I call my aunt, I call my mom. I was like, please track me. <laughs> like, please make sure you know where I am. If I die out here, like, I love you. <laughs> I could get attacked by a bear, a dog. I don't know. Anymore. I don't even know what. <laughs> a bird right before that there were like cars creeping on the road I was like I'm gonna get kidnapped I don't know what's gonna happen like worst first day and the moment I think I was 20 miles in and I I saw civilization Mm. it was this tiny little town there was a church and a little eatery that kind of had a little bit of everything it had a post office it had like it had bakery, it had lunch, and that was it. And there was a woman sitting outside in a wheelchair, chain smoking cigarettes, and that was the whole town. <laughs> and, but I was so happy to see people. I was so happy to see anything. And oh my god! And then I think it was another like five miles till I reached the first town, and and at that point I sat down, I got myself some breakfast, and my shoes had a hole in them oh my god and that was kind of the story of my whole trip every time I every couple days my shoes uh blew a hole and so I was walking another I think like 10 miles till I reached the first shop that it was a bike shop that sold skateboards and I they didn't have shoes but I like just hoped that they could help me with something and it was another 10 miles, but there was a detour that was an eight mile detour instead of the five or six miles that I was supposed to go. And it was all uphill. And I got to the top of the hill, which was like five miles of hill. And there was like a full blown hole in my shoe. And I still had like five miles to go. And, and I finally, I got to the skate shop and, and I said, you know, I called like two hours ago, here I am. I've got this hole in my shoe and the skate shop owner's friend, he came by just out of nowhere and he was just stopping in to say hi. And, and the skate shop owner said, Oh, you should listen to this girl's story. And she's got a hole in her shoe. And and the guy said, Oh, just hop in my van. I'll take you to a shoe store. There's one like up the street, like in the next town over. And he took me to every single shoe store until we found a pair of shoes. Oh my gosh. And he also took me to a lookout and he was like, you got to see this and took me into a national park, paid the money to go in. And it, but that's Maine. That, yeah. That's what yeah. I encountered along the way all through Maine, because it's basically an extension of Canada and they're the nicest people. That's so amazing. There's so many good people out there. So tell me about, you mentioned that there was a a family that you met pretty early on in the trip, right? Yeah, that was also in Maine. Okay. Um, So I think things got a little bit better after that. (laughs) That's good. What roads to ride on, which which was not what I had GPS, right? Right. Um, So I stayed on Route 1 the whole way after that. And I... And things were going well. I was kind of riding along. The roads got better. It was less hilly. And and so I meet this family in Wiscasset. And Wiscasset was really cool. It was this old little town. And it was basically a living museum, the whole town. And so I'm riding around the area, looking at all these old homes and old schools. And, um, and then I, I headed out and... I hit a construction zone and it's construction for miles and miles and 
and I'm just going to walk it. I'm next stop is Bath, Maine. And, mm. um, and I, I'm walking and these, this car honks at me, which was very typical. I would, a lot of towns I would ride through cars would honk, people would wave and it kind of kept me going a lot of the time. And this car honks at me and I'm like, all right, cool. Thanks guys. <laughs> and, uh, and then they pull up into, there's a driveway and they pull up into this driveway in front of me. And I'm like, all right, I don't know if they're, they were actually honking at me or they're just stopping. And then I walk by the car and, and they open the window and they're like, hi, we, we just want to make sure you're okay. You know, our son was a skater and, and we just felt like we needed to stop and see if you need food, if you need a ride, anything. And, um, and of course I'm like, all right, you know, is this, are you being authentic? Am right. I about to get kidnapped? Like, what's the deal? Which I had to really consider because hitchhiking is not a thing in America. Right we don't hitchhike. And of course I have hitchhiked before in other countries, but you're not supposed to here. Right. For good right. Reason. And, um, and so I, I talked to them for a while. I'm analyzing every bit of this and, um, and they're telling me about their son and, and I'm telling them, you know, I'm riding, I'm riding down the coast and I'm going to New Jersey and, uh, and they're really pumped and and they said oh do you just it's construction all the way down do you just want to ride till we pass the construction we're headed that way to the grocery store and I was like yeah I guess so <laughs> sure we'll get in <laughs> I'm tired <laughs> and, blowing holes in my shoes why not <laughs> right and and uh, so I get in the car and you know, I've got my phone on, like, I've got 911 ready to go. Like, I've got, <laughs> you know, this is how I planned Congrats. things. I, I didn't, I never knew. So I always had either a text ready to send out in case something happened or like 911 ready. And um, so, and my aunt was tracking me at that point. So luckily I, I usually would, would send her a text, be like, I'm in this car, just so you know. Like, make sure you know where I'm at. And uh, so I get in the car and I'm talking to them about my trip. You know, I'm sober. This is what I'm doing. And they're like, that's crazy. You know, we've been sober like 27 years and and we've been in AA and our son died of an overdose uh -huh. a month ago. And he would have loved what you're doing. Um, he would have been so supportive. And uh, and so they're telling me all about their son and um and so they wind up dropping me at the bridge right before Bath, which is like, I think seven miles or eight miles up the road. And, um, and I'm just so taken aback by these people. It's kind of this weird godly moment, you know, where what they'll tell you in AA is divine intervention. Yes. And it, it very much feels that way. Um, and it was... I was just shook after that. I think I crossed the bridge into Bath and I just sat down for a really long time. Mm. When I got out of the car, they handed me all the cash that they had and we took a picture together and they, they were just the nicest people. And, and after that, all of their friends reached out to me on Instagram and 
they um they all sent like love and support and and they donated money for me to get new shoes um and then uh so their son was named alex and so it was it was a uh, his birthday and they were they were doing a celebration for his birthday and um and they invited me to facetime into it they wanted me there and so it's kind of been this journey with these people um and their friends too so it was a really weird feeling i got after that somebody sent me a message and said you know uh Deb and Dave are so grateful for you and you have given them so much hope. Alex is with you on your ride. And I like, for me, I was never really spiritual, but I got sober right after my grandpa died. Mm. And I don't think I could have ever stayed sober had like weird things happened after that. And whenever I tried to run and he would, and like something would block me from it. Um, so with this, it was this weird feeling of like, like this pressure, but this like sadness Yeah, that I was kind of carrying him with me. Um, and sometimes I would just find a beach. I would ride by a beach and I would kind of just stand there and cry. Um, and it, it just, that was my whole trip. Like that, that was why I went on this trip. Um, and I still talk to them. Um, you know, I talk to them over the holidays and they're really important people in my life now. Um, and strangely enough, that same day, well, the next day I, I ended up going past Bath to, to New Brunswick. And then the next day I rode to Portland where I was supposed to take my first break. And I'm staying at a, a family friend's house in Portland. Um, and I get there and they offer me a drink. And I said, oh, I'm sober. And they said, oh no, it's like just a drink. We're also sober. We've been sober like 22 years. And I was like, wow, that's, that's amazing. And then, and then I tell them about the story from the day before. And they're like, that's, that's crazy because our nephew died last month from an overdose. <sighs> like super weird. It, wow. it was just this chain of events and like unexplainable and uh and that carried me through my whole ride i think so you're writing not only for those people right now that that are suffering from so many things through covid and the pandemic yeah. and then just in life in general but then you're also hearing about these people that have that actually have od'd that actually have lost their life for whatever reason. And I think I understood it. I think that sadness came from a place of like, I know what that feels like. Yeah. I want everybody to really hear that. I want everybody to seriously hear that because say that one more time. I, I know what that feels like. It's not just a sadness because these people died. It was, it was a sadness because I've been there. Mm -hmm. I've been there so many times and and so it was riding with that knowing what it feels like and what, and that kind of freedom that one wants when they're in that place. Yeah. Um, and that was why I went on this trip. 
um, to connect with that because that is a feeling that that so many people know but that so many people suffer from all alone and physically yeah yeah you're remarkable you are so remarkable I mean you know I think about that with myself with when I was on the trail whenever I'm on the trail I feel so free there's this there's this feeling of just being completely present and at peace for me anyhow where um you know my my situation is very different than yours everybody's is different but you know and I still have my own things that I struggle with every single day and um even this morning I was struggling with something and so you know I go to my place that helps me so that I can also feel more centered and for you it's being on a longboard that you had to fastened together in so many different ways just to make it happen and skating across the while skating down the coast. It's so cool. But it's, it was really hard. Oh, honey, I get, I can only, I mean, how many, listen, I was, people seem to think it's like, like, oh, you went and did the JMT. That must've just been so easy for you. I'm like, are you kidding me? I cried hiking up mountains. I literally was bawling my eyes out going, why the hell am I doing this? Like, why am I doing this? And then you go back to that center of like, oh, wait, this is why I'm doing this. Right. Yeah, (laughs) it's hard. It was really hard. Thank you for that. I don't know how I did it. I look back and I'm like, how did you, that's so dangerous. (laughs) The things that you did, that was so dangerous. Like nobody in their right mind would walk up those hills. Yeah. with, With semis on my side with no shoulder like right. there are situations that should have never happened but I think I had so much tunnel vision that I was just trying to get where I was going and I was also trying to get a bed every night when <laughs> oftentimes beds were all booked and I couldn't get a bed there was a night I actually I was on my way to a fire station because there were no beds in town and there were no beds in for another 10 miles down the road and it was dark oh my gosh where'd you sleep I found a B&B on my way to the fire station. And wow. Like a homeless person. And I think a lot of the time people looked at me and they weren't sure whether or not I was like a normal person, if I was in right. my right mind or if I right. was living on my board in the streets. I It was questionable, but she, I talked to her and she was the nicest and she gave me a bed. And, you know, it, it wasn't, it, it was really mentally challenging mm-hmm. um, because you don't, you don't leave everything behind when you go on the road like this. Right. When you go on any sort of adventure, you don't leave yourself behind. You take it all with you, um, no matter the adrenaline and the thrill. And I think that definitely caught up to me at some point. And I really started to struggle. Um, and I called Cindy one day and I said, I don't know how to keep doing this. Like, I'm not okay. And I've got people counting on me. Like I have followers. I have people who are, I'm giving them hope. And what if I can't keep doing this? And that was kind of a tough reality for me. And I kept going. Um, And the, the last four or five days I rode through Connecticut and I had my aunt 
tailing me because I needed another person to be there. Otherwise, I didn't think I would be able to do it. Um, and she tailed me in her car. Um, and I, uh, I got to, I was riding from New Haven, I believe. Yeah, I think New Haven area. And I was supposed to stop in Fairfield, uh, which is about 10 miles outside of Westport where I grew up. And I, and that was like, I think like 35, 40 miles in by the time I get to Westport or Fairfield. And I got to Fairfield and a car nearly hit me. I'm mm. riding this roundabout and a car nearly, like a bunch of cars nearly hit me. I ride into this intersection and nobody cares that I'm on my board riding there. And I just like somehow suddenly fall into an episode, like a dissociative episode. And I'm like totally different. It's like, like, screw this. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to ride into the middle of the street. I don't care. That's kind of what happened. And it was a self-sabotaging moment. And instead my aunt was waiting for me. Instead, I just, I waited for all the cars to pass and I rode and I, I did not stop pushing for until I got to Westport. And by that time, I think I rode 48 miles. Wow. And I, I rode from Fairfield all the way into Westport. Not once did I stop. Not once did I stop pushing up a hill. I pushed, I think I went up at least 10 hills and I, I was pushing at like 10 miles an hour. Like I put all of my force into that and I don't know how I did it. I was in serious pain afterwards and I was barely breathing too, but I didn't stop. Like I, I was like, I will make it to Westport. I rode past my grandma's new place and I rode into town to my favorite spot, which is the library where I grew up going to. And I sat down at the library on the grass and I just broke down crying. And it was kind of that moment where I didn't get that feeling when I finished in Jersey, but I think that was, that was the end, you know? that was what needed to happen in the end. That was that catharsis right there where it was like, I pushed past everything that broke me and everything that was still trying to break me in that moment. And, and I, I didn't stop crying for like 30 minutes after that. Wow. I mean, I can only imagine the emotional release as well through all of that. And then driving past or drive well, riding past your, your grandma's new space. And just knowing that where you started from and now where you are, oh my gosh, yeah, oh my gosh, it's it's wild. How was it for you finishing? Was I mean you you already no, mentioned it? That this was like this was like the big this was like the big finish, right? I mean, right, that was, like, the, that was like the big finish. How far was that from where you actually ended up finishing? Uh, the next day, I rode to my final day's starting point. Okay, um, and. So I rode into New York the next day. Right. And then, but not New York City. Uh, and then I rode into the city the day after and I did that all by myself. Got it. Um, and it was kind of cool at the end. I rode to the the train, uh, the path train across to, to Jersey from the um, World Trade Center. Mm. And, uh, and the streets are just empty. So I'm riding through the streets by myself. And it was 
and I got on the train and I was like, I just want to be done. <laughs> Let's just be done, please. And it was so uneventful. I was tired. I was sunburned. I, I just, at that point, I didn't want to be doing this anymore. I didn't want to be doing this anymore two weeks prior to that. Right. But I think I had that moment in Connecticut, in Westport, and there was no replicating that with the ending. Right. It was just over. It was done. That was it. Um, And that's something I I told everybody when I went back home, you know, when I said, they said, well, how, how was it? Like, how did it change everything? And I was like, nobody should ever do this. (laughs) That was what I led with because I was like, I'm not going to tell you about the change that it made the impact on my life. You know, besides, besides those moments with like the families and, and whatnot, like it, nobody should ever do this. (laughs) Nobody in their right mind should ever do this. And that's kind of the takeaway from this all is it's, it was a great experience and it was what I needed in that moment. Mm-hmm. And had I tried it in any other moment, I would have never left and done this. Right. Um, but it's, it's not for the faint of heart. It's, and it's not, it, it wasn't very fun. <laughs> yes. It was fun for a while. I would say if anybody ever wants to do this, 200 miles at max. How long did it take you? For 200 miles. Right. Well, how long, how long did 800 miles take you? I did it for like 20 days, I think. Yeah. 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 That's a long, so I was on the trail for 22 this summer, 22 days and 200 and I don't even know how many miles. I, I honestly don't even know. And, um, and it was hard, you know, people think, oh, like, wasn't it? It was amazing. And it was freaking hard. I learned, I did learn a lot about myself. Um, everything that I didn't know I was going to learn pretty much. (laughs) I went in there for one reason. I ended up coming out an entirely different for, with an entirely different reason. I was there, which is the whole purpose of doing stuff like this. And I would never just tell anybody, Oh, just go do this because you it's, you have to, there's a reason in your life that you're choosing something like this. Right. Right. And and I'm just, I'm so proud of you. Like, I just, I can't even express to you how proud I am of you. I just met you yesterday, two days ago. And I was like, right away, I'm like, oh, I freaking love her. Just because, I mean, just so many reasons. And, you know, one of the reasons, the main reason that I absolutely adore you is because you're just so freaking authentic. Nice. You know, you're just so freaking authentic and you share brilliantly and beautifully it's so hard to put it all into words really. And I think that nobody will ever hear it all. And, but I think that the whole takeaway of this is that it's, it's crucial that we listen to people Mm -hmm. and that we see people for who they are. And when we don't, they suffer and we all suffer. And, you know, I, we need to have a lot more empathy. Um, And we need to learn how to push on by ourselves because we're not always going to get that. Um, So it's always a struggle. Life's always a struggle for different reasons for everybody. And um, 
you know, you, you do something like this, but it doesn't change your life, but maybe it changes like one person's life. You know, maybe I, I made that family's life and grief a little bit lighter. And, yeah. you know, if even you just do that one thing, that's, then that's all I want. Like, it, it doesn't have to change my life, but yeah. if it helps change other people's lives, then I think I, I did the right thing. It gives a lot of meaning to your own too. It gives yeah. a lot of meaning to your own. I mean, I find that, you know, all those hard things that we've lived through and we continue to live through. It's like, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. Yeah. You're um, just amazing. And thank you for coming on and thank you for sharing your story. And I know that for you and I, this is just the beginning. I mean, I, I know that. I don't skate, by the way. I don't. Maybe okay. you hike. You can come hike with me. What was that? I didn't train, but I still went. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I don't know about that. I, you know, I don't know about that. I just, I just don't know. <laughs> But if you want to go for a hike, you know where to find me. <laughs> That's just walking uphill, which you've already done. So there you go. Carrying stuff. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for being here. I really, really, truly appreciate it. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Friends, thank you for listening to the Live Boldly podcast. I am grateful to have you here, and I would love to invite you over to sarahsheltoncrans.com to grab my free seven steps to a joy-filled life. I share these seven steps from my own heart, soul, and experience. These steps transformed my own life from victim to survivor. Also, please, let's all be a ripple effect of change in today's world. I ask of you to please share this podcast with others that may need to be inspired or who need to hear from others going through where they are right now. To grow this podcast, please leave an iTunes review, go to my Instagram or Facebook page, and let me know what you think. I love hearing from each and one of you. I love sharing your thoughts, messages, and inspiring words. Because we are not alone in this world, friends. Let's keep the ripple moving. It begins with each one of us. I love you and have a great remainder of your day. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.